This is Continuum Drag, a weekly podcast revisiting television, sci-fi, fantasy, and everything in between. This week, Trapped in Space. All right, let's just cut the crap, okay? Don't you have any suggestions, any real ideas? Oh, I've had ideas. The only problem is none of them come to a very pretty conclusion. A couple of somebodies going out the airlock. That is, of course if we can decide on who that's going to be. What do you mean, if we can decide? I mean, if we all decide to act civilized at our little poison tea party we have scheduled tomorrow morning, that's what I mean. Welcome to Continuum Drag, the podcast that feels a kinship with the character of Howard the Coward. I'm Luke, here's my co-host Jordan. What's real, Jordan? Incredible. I think I had something that's real, but I like that Karen's already hysterically laughing and we haven't even started talking about anything. (laughs) It's just the name Howard the Coward. Oh, you can't that, not enjoy it. Exactly. It was a wonderful joke. What a great way to kick this off. <laughs> Here was the line I like, though, that I was going to use for what's real. This ain't no breezy shirt sleeve picnic out there. I thought that was a good line. No. Guys, the best line in the movie was obviously, God, I'm good. <laughs> Well, listener, we are clearly joined by a guest this week. Uh, Karen, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Glad to be here. So I think it's pretty safe to assume that no one here had heard of a movie called Trapped in Space before. True. No. And apparently it's based on a a short story. Anyone read that short story? I did. You did? Oh. Uh How short was it? It, I can send you the PDF. Pretty short. Well, this is good. I'm glad someone read the short story because you can tell us how close this movie is to the short story. (laughs) Not close. (laughs) Great. Great. (laughs) All I read was that in the short story, Karen, correct me if I'm wrong, it's only two people on the ship, That's right. correct? Yeah, it's McNeil and uh, Grant. And when I was watching this, it was before I, I looked into it, I thought, man, this would have been better if it was just the two guys. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, that's what the short story is. Yeah, well, that's the difference between Arthur C. Clarke and whoever made <laughs> <laughs> You're saying not the same caliber. Yeah, I guess I guess that's what I'm saying. It had its virtues, though. Let's get into it. All right, all right. Before we do, though, we like to ask people who come on this podcast, Karen, do you do you have a interest, an inclination toward television science fiction, or have we forced you into a terrible place with this? I mean, we have. I know we have, but... Well, um, yes, I love sci-fi, and I grew up watching the kind of, like, big classics on TV, like... Star Trek and I loved also Star Wars and I loved the X-Files. I was a child of the 80s so it was really exciting to me that I would come and watch terrible terrible sci-fi movies and uh, chat with one of my favorite people Jordan. Very sweet. Karen can I embarrass you? Can you tell Luke what you dressed up as in school when you were a kid? (laughs) That was so mean. Okay so as I was eagerly awaiting the premiere of Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace in 1999, <laughs> our school organized a class trip to go see the movie. Not on Halloween. I decided that I would attend the screening dressed as Queen Amidala. 
<laughs> including like the big head thing and the like lip paint and like the big dress. My mom helped me make the dress. So I went to the movie theater with my entire class dressed as Queen Amidala, but the only person dressed up. And I was a social pariah for the rest of middle school. It was terrible. So your credentials are legit. Yes. This is this is truly legitimate credentials. I like this a lot. Okay, good. I love it. There's something so sad and sweet about that, though, of just a kid like you're so gung ho about this thing. And socially, it's the exact wrong thing to do. Maybe not nowadays. Maybe it's like cool. But man, if I had dressed up as that, I'd just be I'd still be hanging by my wedgie by some uh, some hook on the bathroom. Yeah. And I wasn't like a like a, you know, cute Natalie Portman, Queen Amidala. I was like a slightly overweight, like going through a growth spurt awkwardly, Queen Amidala, middle school Amidala. It was not a good look. Not at all. I'm I'm impressed because that's the first one of that second trilogy, right? So you already were pre you were preemptively saying, I really like this character I haven't before seen before I had even seen it. And boy was I mistaken that it would be a good film. <laughs> very impressed. Yeah. I'm very impressed right now. Yeah. Well, I couldn't find out much about the creation of this film. There's little to no writing about it. Granted, it was a very half-hearted search on Google, but there's very little going on. Mm-hmm. Totally. Well, you know what? It's it's indicative of a lot of stuff in this time period. It's that weird TV movie. I don't know if this was intended ever to be a series as like a backdoor pilot, but it just feels like it has that budget and that look, that production style of movies that were just on TV at that time. Like there just seemed to be a lot of these kind of like, what is this thing? And like, who is this for? Maybe it's just because it's like, because because you don't know where your remote is. That's who it's for. It does have that kind of budget 90s vibe. But at the same time, the design of the ship is so like luxurious, like for a freighter ship, like the beds <laughs> that they have, like these cool kind of like curved sort of mod looking sex beds. Like, Well, I, that's what I was going to say. We should talk about how this, before we uh, get into it, you know, how this movie starts with sex scenes. So, I mean, that's why you need those beds. It comes off strong that way, doesn't it? Totally. Yeah. Immediate hook. Well, it, here's what I know. It was released January 21st, 1995, Jordan, which means it was on the air at the same time of two series we've watched before. Can you guess what those two Ooh. series were? Tech War? Yep. And 1995, we also watched... Give me a hint. Uh, it was on in 1995. Uh, uh, I don't know. I don't. I can't think of what this is. Earth one was. Two, Jordan. Earth Two. Oh, Earth Two. Earth Two. Two of your favorites. Mm. What a difference in quality of shows, huh? I don't know. Let's get into it. Let's just let's get into the show. Here's the IMDb summary for Trapped in Space. After an accident during a routine trip to Venus, a spaceship has only enough oxygen left for three people. Dot dot dot. Out of five on board. <laughs> <laughs> the tension i like by the way it's a routine trip to venus but they don't seem to have any backups like how does this ship work in terms of the oxygen i had a lot of questions you just pump it into that one room and hope for the best <laughs> but that can't possibly be how they run the uh uh this ship in space it can't be a supply of oxygen it must have a self-generating oxygen or there's no way they'd be able to make that trip am i wrong no they they it, it's ex- there's exposition about this specific thing near the beginning of the movie it's that they have oxygen reserves, and it's the oxygen reserves that get knocked out by the asteroid, right? Right. I was distracted by the sex scene. <laughs> I I was distracted by the start of the movie when uh, it gave me the saddest title treatment of all time. It was like an iMovie 
whatever the basic font was in the first five seconds, just like trapped in space, I guess. Here we go. <laughs> the editor, they realized he had only like a couple minutes left. He's like, oh, yeah, sure, sure. I could throw a title. It's on. just like a ship on a Windows 98 Starscape like screensaver. I'm like, oh, good. Here we go. <laughs> Yeah, but to start, we get a shot of, uh, as Karen mentioned, there's sort of this blocky freighter ship. It's sort of more in tune with, I'd say, Star Wars than uh, than Star Trek. Very much so. Very, very utilitarian. It's uh, it's transporting uh, some cargo on a six-month journey from uh, Venus to, or going to Venus, I su- assume from Earth. Did you guys catch what its cargo was? Oh, Only one. Once the accident had happened, they go into the cargo hold looking for uh, some material to help them, Something basically. To help yeah, 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 yeah. And they reveal that it's storing a bunch of random things, including a dead body in a in a <laughs> chamber, right? Dead body in a cryo chamber. Yeah. The other, the other, like, there's very little in this cargo hold. The other boxes were wine, cigars, and porno. <laughs> That's if they're desperate on Venus. I was absolutely amazed by how empty the cargo hold was. Like there was nothing in there. (laughs) Is this economically viable? The shipment? I couldn't tell. (laughs) Um, The captain of this ship in particular is a captain Howard, uh, the coward. Uh, He is, has apparently been bumped down recently from a liner captain to a freighter captain. And when we meet him, he's just sending voicemails to his lawyer on trying to how to (laughs) obstruct justice in a criminal case against him. I like it. They let you know right away you shouldn't be on this guy's side. He's a bad guy. There's no, there's no uh, uh, ambivalence about it at all. He's bad. It was amazingly artful exposition. It was so great. Just, <laughs> just get us right there. And then we meet the rest of the difficult to do. Like, it, at the start, I could not tell these people apart, but there's McNeil, who's apparently the shift's chief engineer, I believe. There is his trainee, Isaacs, who he's sleeping with. Which, bad. Here's a question for you guys. Uh, obviously, there's some power dynamics at play, and and that's probably inappropriate for the small crew that they have. That aside, are we supposed to know, we're supposed to think he's a bad person, right? Because he's not nice to her. He's not really nice to anybody. But I wasn't sure because all these characters are so two-dimensional. It was hard to even grasp what um, the audience is supposed to feel. Are we supposed to just think he's cool or are we supposed to think he's kind of a dirtbag? Both, Both. yeah, I agree. He's a cool totally. dirtbag. Yeah. Absolutely. Because he, he's a bit of a floozy, wouldn't you say? <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, he's a, he's an oddball. I think you're supposed to like think he's okay at the start and then once the accident happens, thinks he's a jerk and then you're supposed to win your way back toward liking him later. Right, and he's played by Jack Wagner of uh, Melrose Place. Yeah, where... these are soap stars. That's who these people are. Okay, I was just like, I don't know any of these actors. <laughs> Except you're going to introduce a character, a Grant, and did you recognize who Grant was? Nope. Jack Coleman, who played Frank Nolan in Nightmare Cafe, but he's now balding with a goatee. Wait, this is the, this is the star of Nightmare Cafe? That's correct. Did not recognize him in any way, shape, or form. What does Grant do on this ship? I don't understand. Like, I know he's a family man who doesn't talk much. That's all I know about his character. I think that's it. I think that's what it said in the Bible. He's sort of framed as, like, the only decent man on board. Right? Yeah, I guess so. Because Isaac's the this 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 sort of trainee who's there. There's two women on the ship, but she's the one who just has to absorb all the sexual commentary from every single crew member. Uh, very much felt very very 90s and like a very unsafe work environment. Oh, ex- extraordinarily <laughs> yeah. misogynistic. And then the other woman, who's more senior, is framed as like essentially like 
an eccentric crazy dog lady. Yes, Jillings is her name. I guess she is second in command. And yeah, all you know is she brought her dog Cowboy along. And I looked it up, by the way. Uh, the, the dog's real name in real life is Cowboy. I think it probably, like, all it would respond to, they're like, might as well just call the character Cowboy, because that's what he responds to. I guess that's not true. We do find out about Jillings that at some point, I guess she was in a similarly difficult position and she didn't care for it. So that's why she never wanted to be captain. So that's why she's having such a hard time. Yeah. I don't think uh, her character's given much um, uh, by the writer. She's not really given much to work with like she's sort of just like written as kind of like a hysterical person which i think is sort of unfair because that's sort of how she was before things get bad and then things get bad and she's sort of like just continues kind of freaking out did you find her hysterical well maybe it's not the right word she was just like um she's she's on edge before you know she needs to be on edge and i and i i'm I'm not saying it's not her fault i'm just i'm curious as to why the characters even i mean i think they're all pretty two-dimensional they're they're all just immediately on edge at all times like the only other character left before we get into all of this stuff is uh palmer who uh, his only role is a big jerk he's big jerk on ship (laughs) yeah and he likes knives (laughs) yeah that's right he's also he's not just a big jerk he's like the loose cannon he's like the he's the wild guy who's like gonna fuck shit up yeah (laughs) We're, we're supposed to know he's like this because he had previously survived another catastrophic disaster on the Titan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he mansplains about what the rookie <laughs> has to <laughs> learn constantly. He, he really yeah. does. <laughs> I mean, I'll give it the one one piece of credit to the show. They spend no time before the inciting incident happens. Is that like in the first, I feel like, five minutes, the Captain Howard is in his quarters. He gets a notification from the ship that an asteroid is about to collide. And... I, I will respect Captain the Captain Howard for this one thing. He does not hesitate. He gets this notification. He stands up, walks to the escape pod, and fucks right off, leaving the crew behind. Like, no hesitation. He just gets up and leaves. He's thought about it before in his darkest moments. He's like, if this ever happened, what would I do? He's like, yeah, I just leave. And it's also worth noting that in the Arthur C. Clarke short story, it also begins with the inciting incident. Like, there is no, there is no pretext. It just goes bam we're running out of oxygen and they got to figure it out so which is one uh somewhat connected thing that's i thought was interesting is that because they have so many there's not even that many characters but because there is whatever four or five characters i don't think anyone decided what each of these people actually do on the ship because when we start the thing no who's flying this ship is it just an automated ship they're like having dinner playing cards and the captains talk to his lawyer but i'm like no one no one's flying this ship just automated my friend it's you're just out there in six months it just goes straight yeah you just point it in one direction and put it on autopilot so that's why there's lots of time to test out those fancy beds totally (laughs) it is it is funny because that the alert that you're about to get hit by an asteroid is only in the captain's quarters nobody else gets that (laughs) well it may be on the bridge but they're all too busy eating Essentially, as we've, as you may have guessed, Asteroid hits the ship, goes to their oxygen reserves, and now they're kind of stuck in this position where they're like, uh-oh, there's only enough oxygen left for three of us to make the journey, but we do have enough oxygen left for a 22-hour decision period. <laughs> Oh, might as well might as well use the time you have. And I guess there's also they can't send a, they can't send a distress signal. That's the other part. They can't send out a message. They can only receive newscasts from somewhere else. Uh, so they're constantly getting newscasts about how, like, everybody thinks they're dead. Yeah, it is the one thing you have to sort of um, hold your disbelief a little bit, that they wouldn't immediately send help for them. I mean, I, I like, not a spoiler, thing's been out for 20 years, but they do eventually send help. But it seems to take so long after they decide 
it's okay to do that where you would assume they would just immediately send send I, I someone the you thing know? is that they show a clip of the cap of captain howard saying it's like everybody's dead no reason to check it out and they're like okay checks out yeah despite his like a cr- previous criminal case where he killed everyone on the space <laughs> liner i guess yeah fool me once anyway there there is sort of a there's this sort of a bit of time where they're like trying to figure out who who's gonna like should they draw lots how should we live Everyone kind of is just like immediately incomplete. Everyone gives up on their lives so quickly. Like Captain McNeil immediately grabs, or not Captain McNeil, McNeil, the chief engineer, immediately grabs wine, gets drunk, and just orders a bunch of holographic hula girls to dance around him. Yeah, I think it was supposed to be sort of a little bit more salacious, I think, because the the other character reacts as if he's like, they're digital prostitutes, I suppose. But really, they're just dancing, which seems pretty they harmless. They were caressing him. They were. With their hands. They were caressing, that's true. I think she's not She's not so much upset about the hula girls as his complete lack of spine, I think, is what she realizes. Isaac, his trainee, who's they've been, <laughs> they've had a relationship, they've been sleeping together, and she's like, oh, you're, a, you're an awful human being, it turns out. Yeah. Isaac's, however, is far more capable. She's just like, listen, maybe one of us should go check out the damage outside See if there's, like, any oxygen pockets left that might, like, extend our... Like, she's at least trying to do something, and her, her I guess, boyfriend slash chief engineer is getting drunk with Hula Girl, so she's she's pretty annoyed, which I thought was very reasonable. Totally. She's essentially the only proactive one. I mean, she's, she's just trying to fix the problem. Everyone does seem to give up, don't they? Very quickly. It is interesting, and I think they probably didn't do enough with this because it's not very well written, but there is an interesting idea that the person who has the least experience, who is to this point being treated the worst, is clearly the person who has the most focus and is the only person who's being proactive at all. But they sort of, you know, as we're going to learn, she sort of seems to get punished for that, which is not how I thought it was going to go. Yeah, it's well, she does this spacewalk because she's like, I'm going to go out there. I'll check it out. Jillings and kind of Grant are on her side. So she does this spacewalk, checks out the damage. She's in this like big spacesuit with like rockets on it and stuff. And of course, we have to have some there's some tension there. Once McNeil finds out she's gone out, he freaks out because he's he's drunk. But he's just like, if she uses her little rocket boosters, if there's any leaking oxygen, she could die. And of course, we immediately cut back and she fires her rocket boosters on again on leaking oxygen. <laughs> explode there's an explosion she's thrown up into i guess like i guess it's an antenna that's damaged it's like full of wires or something she's trapped up in this thing and and mcneil has to like man up and go out and save her i guess while drunk well very drunk yes and that goes very well that may be my the most insane scene of the movie he is he is like pulling why i i didn't understand she's like wrapped in little tiny wires somehow attached to this thing and then he like like her suit gets clipped very slightly right what it is is i think it's just because it's they don't have a big budget and they don't they don't really block it very well but i think it's the tension was supposed to be that she's really caught in but it's a very gentle situation because even the slightest move might tear her costume that's really what they're trying to do but it just kind of looks like she barely moves and gets the tiniest little tear and then karen what happens if you get a tiny little tear in your costume uh like a full decompression of her suit? Is that what you mean? Yeah. I was like, is that a trick question? <laughs> the way you asked it? So funny. Yeah, and then it was like the most gruesome head explosion. <laughs> I think my favorite part of her head explosion in her suit is like, it's great. It's just like a huge balloon of blood explodes inside her suit and they cut back to mcneil and somehow he's got blood on the front of his helmet too. I'm like, but it was all inside of, I don't understand where this blood came from. 
yeah, she was in fully clothes with an helmet. It was, it was like, uh, for a movie that was just like the most like talky, boring PG thing to suddenly like have someone's head explode graphically was a very surprising move in this movie. I assume the little bit of blood was streaming out of that hole all over him. A little hole in her suit. It's that's like what squeezing it was a ketchup of. packet and it just like squirts out. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I mean, I will say the moment right before the giant blood explosion, when her face starts to get all like, that was amazing. It was terrifying. It was good. There, the, the, there was like this hot second where you get a clip of a great special effect happening and then her head explodes. So good. Well, and we're what, about 10, 10, 15 minutes into the movie? That was about That's the 30, highlight. 45 minutes of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> Weirdly, so little happens that you can really jump to like all the important. And there's like, when she's doing this and she accidentally causes a like another explosion by like lighting up this oxygen, they they come back in, she's dead. They're like, well, that's unfortunate. Like, also, we've lost so much oxygen. Now only one of us can live. Like, there's just, it's, they've gone from three to one in like, Two seconds. It's like, well, now only one of us gets to live. The reason she went out there is they said they think maybe the scanner or whatever they have in the computer can't tell the exact amount of oxygen that might be stuck in these sort of oxygen tubes, I guess. And when she went out there, what she unintentionally did was there was extra oxygen in there, but the accident somehow blew that out. So there's less oxygen than they think now. I think that was what they were implying. I think. I don't know, because even this McNeil character, he comes back in and he's just like, as she might have been right, there might be some more air pockets, but they never look into it any further. Like, well, it's all like one of us has like one of us gets to live. Everyone else has to die, I guess. It is interesting, though, because even to this point, like you would think there'd be some sort of sense of tension. And maybe both of you felt differently. But like, I didn't feel any, even though we've had a character die and we have this clock on how long they have to live. I was just like, hmm. I don't know. I guess they'll be it fine. Doesn't feel like there's any tension on the ship. Like even once they announce only one of them can now live, like all that really happens is this this Palmer character, this wild card, he just goes insane. He's like, "All right, uh, that's it. Uh I'm going to be the one who lives, I guess." And he like wanders off, starts gathering materials. F- like he gets a switchblade from somewhere and stabs the dog to death. And he booby traps the ship. He home alones the sh- the fuck out of the ship. It's just home alone traps all over the ship now. Well, you're saying that the captain didn't have any hesitation. He didn't either. No. It's because he survived the Titan. He knows if you're going to live, you have to like build a tripwire that <laughs> opens a door into space or put a bunch of forks under the floor and like have them throw in gently at a human being. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I, I do have to say with regard to that moment where, where McNeil trips on the wire that then opens the hatch into space. That was, like, perplexing to me. Like, after we just witnessed this woman die from her suit decompressing because of, like, a tiny puncture wound in her suit, to then have an entire hatch door open to space. I mean, he's just kind of, like, holding on like it's a windy day. Like, he's on a sailboat and just needs to get below deck or something. Very strange. It, there, it, yeah, there was no kisses like you there. And then I was also, like... So wait, so Palmer's worried about the oxygen left in the ship, so he just oh, so he set up a booby trap to blow more oxygen into space. I was like, how is that helping any of you? And they have several scenes later on where they're getting rid of, you know, no spoiler that people are going to die. They get rid of people's bodies by sending them off into space, but they just open the door and they're just like standing there. And I like that gravity apparently works where they are, but not one foot away where the the body floats away. And I was like, and also they're just opening the door. It's just, it's so funny how little thought is put into this. Like, I'm not saying it has to be hard sci-fi, but like 
there had to be someone who was like, guys, does this make any sense? But no one did that. Oh, but those moments of the bodies floating, like, like oh, they were just the best part of the whole movie. That was a wild sequence, because uh, what we're getting to is a bunch of people are going to die in short order, but they all die, so, like, this is like an hour into the movie now. Suddenly three people die in, like, the next five minutes. And every time someone dies, we get a funeral scene for each individual person with them wrapped in white linings and getting pushed out of an airlock. I'm like, how many times am I going to watch the same sequence? With no score is the other. I don't know if you picked up on that, but every time they cut from inside the ship to the moment where the, the body is floating, it goes scoreless. So it's just like a silent floating body. Just to bring that impact of the silence of space, they really want to sell you on it. Totally. But yes, Palmer sets up these booby traps. None of them work the way he wants them to. And then we cut to a, a scene to really ratchet up the tension of this like movie for some reason, in which a mysterious crew member slits his throat, and we don't know who's murdered him. <laughs> we all just assumed it was McNeil, oh, yeah. right? McNeil seemed the most likely. Definitely. <laughs> um, and it's at this moment you're like, okay, well, there's three of them left. One of them's a murderer. Where's this going to go? And they immediately are just like, hey, what happened to Jillings? It's just like cut to her. Oh, she committed suicide in her uh, bedroom because her dog is dead. I'm like, oh, so there's now 30 minutes left of this movie with just these two men. Yeah, it's funny because as we said before, uh, you know, the short story being two people, this movie has all these characters, but just wants to kill them right away to get down to the tension of two people where it could have started with them. But I think the issue is they didn't want to have that slow somber sort of two people having a long discussion around a table as to what what they're supposed to do they wanted more action but they kind of jammed it into they five wanted minutes the sec- like the whole like the whole conceit of opening with a sex scene and having this sexual tension between this like young cadet and like multiple other men on the ship like that is like they needed to insert that so they needed to create this whole apparatus of characters around grant and mcneil in order to achieve it we need 20 minutes of sexual yeah. tension 20 minutes of uh who's gonna die and then another uh 45 minutes of two men just sitting around yeah and the two <laughs> men that are left in the film are the same two men from the short story so this so. is this what put the part where the short story kind of starts we basically as if they're like all right now we finally got to the part where we have a short story it's a little different in the short story the uh, the character McNeil in the short story, or sorry, in the in the film, ends up being the like the de facto captain. Like once everybody else has gone or been off, right? By the time that it's ba- it's down to the two of them, he's like the the senior one. In the short story, it's actually the reverse. So Grant starts as the ship's captain from the beginning. In the short story, McNeil is also kind of an a-hole. Like, he's kind of a D-bag. So and that's authentic. 100%. And Grant basically has this holier-than-thou position that, like, he should be the one to survive because he's the better person, obviously. Uh, but then it ends up being the reverse, that uh, uh, it's McNeil that survives. Well, that yeah. is sort of like what happens here, because once it's the two of them... Grant just starts thinking about his family, and he's really su- he really suspects that uh, McNeil, A, has killed this Palmer character, but also he's really suspicious he's killed every other character, even though we as the audience know that's not accurate. But it is what happens is Grant just like, kind of gets to the point where he's like, well, you know what? One of us can live. I'm the better person. So I'm going to invite McNeil for a coffee this morning, and I'm going to pour... We've got, like, suicide powder sitting in a cupboard. I'm going to pour it in his coffee... 
I'll kill McNeil and I'll be the one who survives. Like, that's kind of what we get to here. The internal dialogue we're supposed to get is that he's like, I have something to live for. I have a family and I'm a better person. He's has nobody and he's a murderer. So I should be the one to survive. And there's a little bit of tension about maybe McNeil has switched the cup, but they, they push it aside quickly. We're supposed to think like, oh, McNeil did drink the right cup. Grant's pulled it off. And then we get like a hard cut to, I guess, like four months later. <laughs> Like, it was just a very abrupt sudden cut. A rescue party has come to check out the ship because in the interim, I guess they figured out the way the ship was damaged. Someone must have survived. And it's, it's like even slowed down as it's approached Venus. So, like, this rescue party has arrived to see what's going on in the ship. And they've brought the captain, Howard, with them. And I was just like, why have you come, Howard? Like, all you you know it's going to be awkward. No matter what happens on that ship, you know it's going to be an awkward little conversation you're going to have to have. I like the idea in a rescue mission. Just think about it like here today. There's some horrible tragedy has happened and someone has miraculously made it out. And they're like, well, we need to go rescue everyone else. You know who we're going to bring? The person who was traumatized in the accident. Let's bring them to go see what's what's left. It's it's such a... And we, the reason they're doing it is because obviously you want to have this reveal of these two characters see each other again. But yes, in, in world logic, it makes no sense. Guys, this is what happens in Titanic. In Titanic, Rose goes back for the rescue mission on the ship as an old lady. It's totally a convention of the rescue mission to bring back the person who was in the original accident. That's true. You're right. Howard needs to go back and find the heart of the ocean. (laughs) Exactly. That's what it's called, right? I think anyway. (laughs) That's right. That's right. But important note, in the short story, this, this moment between the two of them with the cups and the like attempted poisoning you understand as the reader that McNeil is like hip to this plan mm. and essentially changes the powder in the cyanide pill or whatever it is for a bitter salt so that he will be able to taste and know that his counterpart has attempted to off him. And so there's a line in the movie where he goes, bitter coffee or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> that is a nod. <laughs> the short story because that's what happens in the short story well that and yeah i guess that's sort of what happens because what we we see this rescue crew land and the big reveal is that mcneil's the one who's somehow still alive on the ship and when they reveal that we just cut to a, a flashback we just like go back to where we left off in the kitchen wasn't that an odd narrative technique too because it's supposed to be like this like it's almost like a commercial break sort of thing like you wouldn't believe it's not what you thought happened but then 30 seconds later, we just see it. I'm like, why not just keep continuing that scene then instead of having this weird break yeah, for 10 and it's seconds? Yeah, and it's exactly what you just described, Karen, is McNeil's like, oh, FYI, I changed all the poison out for for salt so I'd know if you're going to murder me. And then he, and then, like, Grant comes clean. He's like, I'm sorry, I, I think you're a murderer. That's why I tried to kill you. And McNeil's like, oh, yeah, by the way, I've had evidence this whole time that I didn't kill anyone. I haven't bothered to tell you up till now, but here's the suicide note from Jillings that explains that she murdered Palmer because he killed her dog. And so I'm innocent of all charges. <laughs> yeah. It felt like information you could have provided a little earlier, but I like that he sat on that suicide note until an attempted murder on him. So Grant's just like, oh, I guess you're not a bad man. So maybe we should just draw cards and see who has to die also i love that they're like let's draw cards to see who lives i'm like high card or low card guys you got to say it before you draw nobody says anything i'm just like well who is it high card or low card this draw is not gonna work (laughs) what are the conditions of this draw what does this even mean 
you know what happens because if i was doing that game we didn't say anything that i put it i'd be like what is this worth i don't know anything about cards is this is this good and then the person would just like i would he would just say yeah you die i'm like all right i guess it checks this is, out this is you and me jordan you pull the king i pull the five and, I'll, and i'm like oh, i was low card low card lives <laughs> and like give me that salt packet whatever he died from but essentially mcneil draws the king grant draws the five and grant's the one who's got to die cut back to the rescue mission let's just jump back to the rescue mission now and it's just like mcneil's like that's and that's how i lived and then he punches the captain howard in the face because you knew you knew that was coming Mm -hmm. i also like that he punches him in the face and he's just like and now you're going to jail not for killing us but because you left this like computer disc behind that has all the records of you trying to botch the trial for your other criminal conviction conviction like that's why you're going to prison now i'm just like not not because he murdered you all like there was like this they really wanted to close out that story about him in that court case for some reason yeah you had to track that from the beginning you know what i like though is uh the one little bit of technology we see in this show because everything's kind of like pretty normal looking like it doesn't look that sci-fi but everything is done on like really mini cds that are like colored and they're like yeah, the they size of like, like a cookie. Pog. They just use pog. <laughs> they do All look data like pogs. on pogs in this future. It's like I've got this pog that proves you tried to uh, corrupt justice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and just when I think it's all over, I've forgotten about the weird piece of thing, piece of technology in the cargo hold they mentioned one hour and fifteen minutes ago. Hey, wasn't there a dead body and some sort of some rich guy in a cryo tube sometime that was released revealed earlier? And McNeil's like, "Hey, come with me." And he he reveals that Grant is in a cryo tube this whole time. And I'm like, "Oh right, you guys have had this solution this whole time." And the rescue crew like, "All right, well, let's try to wake him up and make sure he's still alive." And Grant wakes up and he's just like, "How am I not dead?" And it's at this moment you realize that. <laughs> McNeil never told him this plan. He's like, okay, kill yourself. And he's like, ah, just kidding. I gave you a sedative and put you in a cryotube. I was like, wouldn't it have been easier to be like, let's give you a sedative and put you in a cryotube and see if, like, it's so crazy to think that McNeil's like, die. Why don't you die? And then the lady's like, just kidding. I put you in a cryotube. You're not dead. Like, it's just the most insane. Like, uh, why would you do that to someone? I I can't hear a Karen's audio, but I like that she's falling out of a chair laughing. I like that it's a gag. It's just funny when you wake the person up. You're like, hey, remember you went through that trauma? You wrote that letter to your family saying goodbye? Prank! Yeah. <laughs> but they get they shake hands. They're friends. A wild ending. And then from that like end to the movie, they cut to... I, I, I did the math. A straight 23, stat, 23 seconds of a static shot of the ship just floating in space before the credits roll. Just like... <laughs> I don't even know if there's music. It's just like a static shot of a ship in space for 23 seconds. And I'm like, oh, my God. And then credits roll. 23 seconds is a ludicrous amount of time by today's entertainment logic. I was like, were you running 23 seconds short? Is this is what's happening here? I don't understand. A hundred percent. That's what it was. This was wild. Jordan, why would you pick this? (laughs) I don't know. I picked it for Karen, too. Of course you did. Okay, so I want to get into, so what about the theme, what are the themes of this? Like, where, like, what are you guys taking home? Like, like, what is leaving an impression on your soul from having watched this? What is leaving an impression on my soul? Oh, man. I mean, I think the themes of the movie are uh, about, I guess, trust. It's, it's mostly a movie about how, who can you trust? 
but you get so little insight into anyone's character and they're all so willing to turn on each other at the drop of a hat it's it's crazy well i would i would argue that there is this sort of like overarching theme of essentially like human malevolence right like we had the option of having three survive. If we had just been able to agree on how that was going to work, then three would have survived, and that would have been, you know, the best possible outcome given the cards they were dealt. But because they just essentially can't keep their shit in their pants, or whatever the analogy is, they end up having more death and destruction and terror uh, inflicted on all of them, and fewer of them come out alive. So... I mean, it is a grim take on humans for sure. Although at the end, you see uh, McNeil turns out to be such a sweetheart. He saves another life. Like, I I don't know. I don't know what the lesson of course is. He was, of course he was going to be the hero. His first line was, what was it? Was it good for you? No. No, it was not. It was, damn, I'm good. Damn, I'm good, he says. That's that right. was the beginning of the movie. As yeah. soon as he said that, you're like, of course this guy's going to come out on top. Oh, I just thought that meant he was good at sex. I didn't realize it was an overarching thing. <laughs> no, it's like, a, it's like a foreshadowing of what's to come. But it is a shame because you think there, there would be more for his sort of like a redemptive arc for him, you know? Like, I'm fine with him starting off as kind of a dirtbag and then when push comes to shove and he's put in this terrible situation, he finds that there's more in him than he originally thought and maybe the people around him thought and he's actually there is some genuine qualities to him but that's not really what we get with him it's sort of he starts at a baseline of being this as we said kind of this arrogant kind of gross guy and he sort of just smarms his way through the movie and at the end he's like gotcha you're not dead and it's like but he didn't his arc is just flat and all the characters arcs are flat really i think we can all agree the movie we hope to watch was about a man who sleeps with interns who turns out to be the hero (laughs) (laughs) exactly (laughs) that's the hero we're all craving these days yeah always great to see that you know like skanky intern (laughs) explode first right like fuck her how dare she take the initiative That's what I was going to say. You, again, there's there's another more interesting uh, story that the person, I mean, maybe it's being done to death, but the person who has the least experience, but she has the uh, greatest head on her shoulders and she's the most proactive and she actually saves everybody after they've kind of been pushing her down. There's something interesting there, but they do, they're like, you know, what we should do this woman. We should punish her because she's already been abused. Like, it's just it's just such an odd choice to make. And maybe it really is a bit of a timestamp as to what we are supposed to appreciate as a viewer, you know, of, of what we, what we're supposed to expect of our, our heroes in our entertainment. I will say that I think the actor that played Isaac, the intern was the, the winning actor of the film. I think she was the best one. I yeah. agree. Yeah. And I like cowboy. Cowboy was pretty good too. And so I went down a Sigrid Thornton wormhole online after watching this movie to be like who is this woman what has she done and there are some amazing stills of her on horseback Hmm. i don't know very interesting woman well she won a gold medal at the olympics for horse riding no no i made that up (laughs) oh my god jordan hit the off button on his tv as soon as this was over and never thought about it again Well, you know what, but that's the thing, Karen, you're talking about what are the themes of this thing. Really, I think the impression you, you get is that of very little. I think this will fade off 
Um, it's not so offensive that you remember it. It's not so um, silly that you kind of laugh about it. It sort of hits that weird middle of just a unevocative, boring kind of TV movie, unfortunately, where there's not much to pull from. You know, it's like, could you get that angry or happy or upset? There's not that much to grab on. I, I'm just grabbing onto those amazing mod beds that they have. Honestly, <laughs> that whole spaceship is deluxo. Like, I can't even believe it. I like the Pog technology personally. Totally. <laughs> all right. Well, I think we've. I think we've. Seems like we've covered it all at this point. Um, do you guys want to rate Trapped in Space? Mm-hmm. Karen, we do this basically on the IMDb scale of ten stars. Though, feel free to shake it up any way you like. You don't have to treat it as a high art for sure. It's more about how much you enjoyed yourself. But uh, feel free to do as the best or worst you can. Honestly, it was a solid seven for me. Wow, like, seven. Really? Yeah. That's 100%. amazing. 100%. I, well, Jordan did a good job then. He picked something for you, and it worked. It sure did. Just so I have perspective, Karen, what now would you rate The, the Phantom Menace <laughs> as someone who dressed up and went to the premiere? Is I that also a seven out of ten? I watched all of the Star Wars movies recently with my seven-year-old son, and I would say The Phantom Menace is like a three and a half. It is a brutal. It is a brutal movie. Yeah. It is terrible. And which of the characters from Trapped in Space did you dress up as to watch it? <laughs> okay, well, Sigrid Thornton as Isaacs, obviously most relatable, Great. being also a woman and also not wanting to be the like crazy eccentric mother of cowboy. <laughs> And she has like alien vibes, like with the like like Sigourney Weaver in that like one piece suit situation. Like it's a good look. That's it a looks great. great. Mm-hmm. This movie feels like it's kind of wants to be alien for the first thirty minutes. Like who's gonna live? And then at some point it's like, and now the short story mm-hmm. starts. That's right. They really needed to improve and refine Arthur C. Clarke. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is almost. I mean, it's not that it's inoffensive. It occasionally is offensive, but. This movie is like something you could have behind you and it would just play and like it, like you could just look at it every like 10 minutes and like go along for the ride. I was bored, but I was also this isn't the worst thing I've ever watched for this podcast. I don't know. I don't know what to do with it. I'm like, I love when a head explodes. That's one of my favorite things on Earth. So it's got that. It's got that going for it. I find something disturbingly funny about pranking someone to dying and then like being like, ah, I actually, I just put you in a cryo tube. <laughs> I'm going to go 2.5. 2.5. I think I'm going to come somewhere in between you two. I think it's, it's not good, but again, like you're both saying it, there's sort of just like, you're like, nah, it's fine. I, I've spent my time doing worse things. I, so I'm going to give it a, a four out of 10. Four out of 10. Four out of 10, I think. So that's that's pretty good. Seven, a four, wide, and two and a half. Wide spectrum of possibilities for this movie. Yeah. Honestly, on IMDb, thirty-five people have rated it ten out of ten. Just <laughs> <saying>. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. It's just one. Of, it's just all the people that worked on the movie. They're like, please, just give it a ten. I truly am. Was like, I bet you, if you asked anyone who worked in this movie, you said this title to them, they would look at you blankly with no recollection of it ever of happening. <laughs> Yeah, probably. There was there was one good lighting scene I liked where um Frank wore a uh, Frank was that his name whoever the 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 dude who with the goatee was Palmer. in the cryo chamber Palmer <laughs> when he woke up once in bed and they had this sort of like um 
old film film noir kind of like lighting on him from like Venetian blinds that apparently exist in his room. And I was like, ooh, I like that. I remember that. These bedrooms, they, they really are the star of the show. Yeah. I really think if they remastered this film and rescanned the negative, you guys would rate it higher. <laughs> we, Probably. What, what we're missing is like the Blu-ray HD version. 4K would really push yeah. it. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Well, I know who my next cosplay uh, is. It's going to be Isaac. So it's yep. great. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you have to explain it. You're like, all right, everyone, I know you don't know who this is, but in 1995, there was a TV movie. There's a character. She has sex right off the bat, then her head's explodes. Anyways, I'm her. That's it. All right. Well, Karen, thank you so much for joining us to watch Trapped in Space. I appreciate you taking the time uh, both to talk to us and also an hour and a half of watching it. My internet just crapped out for a second there. Oh, it's okay. I was just thanking you for being on the show. <laughs> <laughs> It was so fun. I do it anytime, guys. Love it. Jordan, keep picking movies for me to watch. This is amazing. And listener, uh, you can email us at continuedragonsgmail.com if you want to get a hold of us about anything. And on Instagram and Twitter, we're going to have clips from this show. Uh, Bodies being thrown in an airlock. A head exploding. Uh, I don't know. Some other stuff. We'll figure out what else is going to be up there. Uh, You can find us at Continuum Drag on those social medias. But that about wraps up for the episode. So, listener, thank you for joining us. And, Jordan, I'll see you next week. See you then. Continuum Drag is recorded in Toronto, Ontario. Theme music by James Rex Seedler. Produced by Jordan Dulloch and Luke Black. Special thanks to Aaron Hughes.